everyone. I'm Dr. Rachel Lupian. And I'm Dr. Stephanie Sparrow. Our climate is in crisis, and we all want to help, but we might not know how. We're talking to people who have figured out how to use their talents to combat climate change in the hopes that their journey might inspire your own. This is How We Got Here, because the Earth needs professional help. Hey, Rachel. Hey, Steph. How are you? I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? I mean, yeah, as great as one could be in these trying times, oh, yeah. which are not stopped. Exactly. But yeah, for all the time. As great as possible. Yeah. As great as my Twitter doom scrolling will allow. <laughs> but Well, let's let's get into it. How how are how have it how has it gone? Do you have a good? Do you have a bad? I, I hope just good. I honestly I have a <laughs> I have a good. I definitely have a good. Oh, that's great. Um so eight, I can't wait to hear eight it. Eight of my students are presenting at posters at AG. <gasps> Um, this week, That's so which is very exciting. What's what AG what's is the geography version of AGU. <laughs> it is okay. American Association of Geography Conference, so big conference, smaller than AGU. But one cool. student in particular, she. Do you want to give them a shout out, Delaney? Do they listen, Delaney? You let me know. I don't. I don't. I don't ask my students to listen to this. <laughs> um, it's like hiding something in the syllabus. Right? Here's a, do you do that? Here's an Easter egg. An Easter egg in the syllabus. If you read the entire syllabus down to this, there's $50 hiding in the cabinet in the oh, mineral storage that Twitter. room. No, I did not do that. Yeah. I do quote Bartleby oh. the Scrivener in my syllabus, but that's a real deep cut. <laughs> the students love it. <laughs> uh, okay. That's funny. Sorry. No, no, you're kinda, good. So, yeah. right. The, everything's, the background is awful right now, right? So Delaney, though, she's, um, she's, her grandparents really wanted to see her present her poster, and they were so grumpy. That is so sweet. And they're like, AG's expensive, and they were going to register for AG to see her present oh. her poster. Wait, 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 sorry. Is, was AG No, in? no, it was virtual. It was all virtual. Oh, it was all gotcha, So gotcha, they were gotcha. just like, oh, we'll zoom in. And Delaney was like, well, you have to register. And they're like, well, we're not, we're uh, not paying yeah. this cost prohibitive fee. I did sneak my mother into uh, the GSA that was in Baltimore. But that was in person. I was, I just kind of asked politely, and they printed her a badge. That's so nice, GSA Northeast. I Is know. that who? No, just National oh, GSA. Gosh, GSA. I know. Very nice. Okay, so no, it's okay. AG did not do the same thing for Delaney's grandparents. So <laughs> oh, she's okay. like, okay, I'm just going to Zoom them and talk them through it. But their computer screen is so small, so she's like giving her a little spiel, and they're like, we can't see the screen so small. No. So they went to FedEx in their hometown no. and printed oh. the poster out. <laughs> and she just sends this picture of her grandfather looking at this like four by six, six by four, whatever oh, poster. Oh my god! And they were writing down questions to ask her I'm when she goes home over a spring break. I literally started crying. <gasps> Oh my god, that is so sweet. Oh my gosh. And I was like, well, okay. If if everyone cared about our research as much as our grandparents oh my cared. It's like the cutest <laughs> picture I've ever seen. And I, I did, it was like Sunday and I truly just, she sent this and I was like, I'm literally crying, Delaney. <laughs> That's so sweet. Also, congrats on having so many students go. That's yeah, really exciting. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, That's my good, I don't bad is just work is bad right now we're like the week before spring break and the the morale with class with the students and the faculty is is just i mean like being it's it's a it's a it's a slog 
That's all. It's just still winter. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's still yeah, gray out. It's, it's yeah. winter plus, right? <laughs> yeah. What about you? Let's do good, bad. Okay. Minor are, mine are related. So I've talked on this podcast many weeks. Many weeks my bad is about this effing. Paper. The one that's been in like six journals, but not it. Yeah, okay. that came out this <gasps> week. It was published. Oh my gosh! Congratulations! Finally published. Sixth journal, six times the charm. That is what I they mean, say. That is the very common phrase. That's that's a common six phrase. Times the charm. Yeah, in academic publishing, sometimes <laughs> um, people decide. Yeah, so that came out. Another good part of that, like my friend sent me, she's a professor at Northland College. She sent me a screenshot of one of her slides that she was using my paper to teach, which was super exciting. Um, Students yeah, reading that just felt Dr. really great. Lupian's papers, learning from. Yeah. Oh my God. That's amazing. I mean, honestly, the paper is probably the best one I've ever written because so many <laughs> freaking people have read it and torn it apart that it just like has been distilled into greatness, I so, guess. I, I mean, so you're saying like, <laughs> there's no other way to put it. The review process is not flawed in any ways. And 18, oh, 18 eyes later, here we God. are. Okay, speaking of that, <laughs> my bad. <laughs> Transitioning. Go. Speaking of that, you know, sometimes you get emails after you publish a paper. People are like, wow, can you send me the PDF? I'd love to read it. Absolutely. And stuff like that. Some people might be like, hmm, you thought about this differently than me. Let's talk about it. Great constructive criticism. Well, I'm afraid for where this is going. <laughs> oh, my heart's pounding. I received an email that was just extremely rude and condescending and missed the point and missed a lot of what was in the paper and they were mostly mad that I didn't cite there their paper. There it is. There, there it is. It is. Um, but it was really condescending. Um, it reminded me that Google Scholar exists and that I should set up alerts so that I know when they publish a paper. I mean, it was, it was bad. That's what the email said? They're like, this is my name. Create a a Google news alert. Yeah. It was, it, it was, it, it was like as though I was so out of touch with the current literature that that's why I didn't. It was extremely rude. Their paper, just side note, miscited my paper. Oh, so oh, just oh. anyway, I just want to bring it up because these things do yeah, happen, all the time. and it's you know this happened a couple days ago, and I'm still thinking about it constantly. It is still taking up space in my brain, oh. and it is extremely frustrating. Yes. And I'm happy to get it out here. I can assure you, this person's not going to listen to my podcast. <laughs> so. Maybe they'll. They're in, in the same way that I hate watch things. Maybe they'll hate listen to us. And you know what? Oh, hello. That's an extra subscriber. <laughs> so you lose yeah, all the Thanks ways. for subscribing. Um, yeah. So that really that really yeah. sucked. And it ta- it took away from my couple days. They sent it on a Sunday. Come on. <sighs> Who writes an email like that on a weekend? Yeah. Um, so you- yeah, it was just it was just so unnecessarily. You know, I'm oh, happy to no. talk about the differences yeah. in our paper. I'm so happy to do that, but that is not what the no. That email was like, why didn't you cite me a yep. thousand times? I'm the preeminent scholar. And to that person, eighteen other people yeah. read that paper. Not one of them said cite you. Well, I, yeah, he. I think he might have. Uh, and yes, it was a he. Of course, it was shocking. Yeah, of course, it was. Um, 
I think he may have implied that he was one of those reviewers, which was... Oh, yeah. He also brought up the fact that it had been rejected so many times. What? It was really... It was really rude. Um... It was like... And I and I shared that on Twitter that it was rejected so many times again yeah, for because, transparency yeah. and to make people feel like that happens to everyone. It does. And you know, we yeah, it does. And it it was just a kick in the stomach. He like used your tweet against you. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, I'm gonna say it. Fuck that guy. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> I'll sleep a little better tonight. My anyway. Oh, I'm so sorry. Oh no, go no, on. Go I was on. gonna say my husband's Mom, my mother-in-law is in town, and she's Midwestern. And every time I swear, she asked me eh. point blank if she thought how soon. Uh, what was it? Is Theodore gonna say dick or fuck first? <laughs> <laughs> so I stopped swearing for a little bit. So fuck that guy. Um, he's a he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I never would have put that together. I love it. I like. All it. All right. Well, let's let's talk about. Okay. Let's move yeah, on. Yeah. Let's talk about our guest who I'm super excited about, particularly yeah. as the I. Well, this I'm less excited about, but the IPCC did just release a report on adaptation mitigation, and it is not great. And there's a lot of talk on health effects of climate change. So I'm super stoked to introduce our guest. Vijay Limier has a joint doctorate in environment and resources and epidemiology from UW-Madison, and he's a climate and health scientist at the Natural Resources Defense Fund, which is the NRDC. At the NRDC, he works with other scientists, policy experts, and lawyers to help advance climate and health protections that can benefit people now while also safeguarding a livable future for all. He specifically focuses on demonstrating the significant health costs of climate change and defending the science that underpins the Clean Air Act. Before he was at the NRDC, he was at the EPA. He speaks Spanish. He speaks Hindi. He's published several papers on the health impacts of climate change, triggered air pollution, and extreme heat in the U.S. and India. And we're so, so, so excited to chat with him today. Welcome, Vijay. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us tonight. Sure. Our first question for you is, what do you do? What's your job title? What's on your business card? Do you have a LinkedIn profile? And what does that say? <laughs> I'm obsessed with LinkedIn. Rachel, yeah. is it? <laughs> uh, I don't use it. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. No, thanks for the invite. Um, yeah, I'm Vijay Lamai. Um, my title is a climate and health scientist, and I work at NRDC, the Natural Resources Defense Council. So that's kind of my official title, um, and I think it, you know, captures the gist of what I what I do: connecting the dots between climate change and public health. Awesome. So, what do you actually do? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I do kind of a lot of work to talk about the climate crisis as a public health emergency. You know, for the longest time. I think we've been taught that the climate problem is all about glaciers melting and polar bears in distress, which is totally true, <laughs> and future generations, um, you know, in danger. But it's very much also about very real threats to human health here and now. So when you hear about, you know, wildfires and floods, heat waves, air pollution, infectious disease, sea level rise, all those things um, are really important because they threaten humans, right? They threaten uh, our livelihoods, they threaten our families, our parents, our grandparents, our teachers, people we love, all that we care about. And so, um, you know, while historically the climate problem really hasn't been kind of framed as a public mm. health issue, that's really kind of how I approach it. So a lot of my work is about 
kind of unpacking the climate risks as they relate to human well-being, um, doing research on all of that, but doing a lot of communication and kind of advocacy to help protect people from this problem. Cool. I might... This might be my new job, Rachel. This is, podcast is also oh. a thing, a way for me to yeah. get out of academia. We're um, trying to find Steph a new job. So we're, we're interviewing people. Yeah, yeah. And, I'm just, really so, interviewing their jobs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what do you actually actually do on a, on a day-to-day basis? What does that look yeah, what like? Yeah, what are you up to? Talking to people. <laughs> is it doing your own is research? Data? Is, is it, it writing? Data? Yeah. yeah. What's your day-to-day? Yeah. <laughs> is it meetings? I love so many meetings. Yeah, I love where I I work kind of at the intersection of science, communication, and policy. So I get to do a lot of different things. Um, my days can be kind of unpredictable. Generally, I'm talking um, usually every every week or so. I'm talking to at least a reporter or two to try to just connect the dots between hmm. you know climate and weather disasters that are happening all around us, and trying to really center the human experience um, to talk about people and why people should care about the climate problem. Um, I'm also doing quite a bit of research on the climate problem um, in collaboration with other people. You know, one thing I kind of experienced when I was a graduate student was kind of a really isolated experience of writing a lot of my own, you know, working on my dissertation, long nights at the office and all that. And mm, I really love We've been there. Yeah, I love the, <laughs> the work that I get to do now because a lot of it's collaborative. Um, the climate problem is so complicated when you try to connect um, all of these issues to human health. And so I really kind of rely on a lot of colleagues to help um, conduct research on the problem, both in the U.S. I do a lot of work internationally, like in India, too. Um, so I'm doing a lot, of, a lot of calls these days, talking to research collaborators and figuring out how to, how to deal with those obstacles. Um, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm looking at big spreadsheets and trying to figure out how to connect you know, climate models to temperature projections mm. to energy issues to air pollution and health. There's a lot of kind of um, puzzle pieces to fit together on that front. And so a lot of my work is about translation, like making data work together, um, figuring out what lessons from India we might apply here hmm. in terms of adaptation to climate problems like extreme heat. Um, I see a lot of what I do actually is kind of like translating the climate issue into health in different ways. Um, and so my days are, are pretty varied, but they generally involve a lot of collaboration with uh, a lot of scientists and, and lawyers at NRDC. We do a lot of advocacy on public policy for the environment and public health. Um, I used to work at the Environmental Protection Agency, so I mm. kind of know a lot about how some parts of that agency work. And right now I, I've been doing just in the past few weeks, a lot of um, public commenting on EPA plans under this president. We've got kind of a lot of opportunity, but a limited window of time to move the ball forward. So it's a whole mix. My days are kind yeah. of unpredictable, yeah. but that's kind of what keeps it exciting. That's fun. But what I find really interesting, too, and as we will ha- we introduce you, BJ, you have a your doctorate has nothing to do with communication, right? Right. In right. any <laughs> way. But right. you, and we'll, we'll probably discover this, but yes. it sounds like you have to do a lot of communicating in your job. And sometimes scientists like aren't well known for their ability to communicate difficult topics well, I would say, <laughs> politely. I've never heard that. I don't no, know. I know. I, I should not be stereotyping. I guess. Yeah. Um, so that's no. really interesting. Yeah, totally. You know, I think um, that's, you know, totally the case, obviously, that a lot of scientists, you know, frankly, haven't been 
trained in communicating effectively. You've gone, you know, when I was a student, I certainly went to like a limitless number of just awful talks, <laughs> right? Oh like seminars yeah. where someone's like up there effectively speaking a foreign language and they're just kind of lost in all the acronyms and the details mm. and unable to really um, make their work compelling, right? And that was really frustrating for me as a student. And I like kind of vowed sitting through those like really boring <laughs> seminars to never be like that, right? To like try yeah. as hard as I could to make sure that people understood um, why I cared about about an issue, right? And, um, you know, so I think things are slowly improving in terms of like, you know, graduate students, I think more and more are interested in presenting their work to public audiences and making the case that, you know, what they're up to is, is compelling stuff. Um, and I definitely see like a huge kind of opportunity for technical experts who are interested in engaging with the public to do so in really creative ways. You know, I think mm -hmm. part of the reason that we're in this mess is because we've kind of assumed that scientists can handle science communication and figure it out. And the truth is that, you know, science communication is its own field. It's its own science, right? I have a ton to learn, but I think we can all just, you know, try things out because certainly what we've been doing for years and years has not led us to the place that we need to be on that front. Yeah, and I and jumping off that, I also just think we scientists a little bit before I'm gonna put us all in the same age group, even though I don't know if that's true. Um, <laughs> Go ahead. A little bit before us. we're 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 in our early twenties here. Yeah, so yeah. Exactly. we are yeah. all twenty four totally mm -hmm. and with yeah. PhDs, very accomplished. <laughs> um, but what I was going to say is that I think also scientists were like f taught to be apolitical too, which is like mm -hmm. a really interesting. I think that plus the lack of training, like you were saying, VJ, really did not do us any favors when we're talking about climate change and these big problems and assessing risk. And I think of things like having to explain to my students what a hundred year flood is, right? And right. how that's like a crazy, it's like, no, it's just probability. No, you could have 200 year floods in a year. Like, you know what I mean? Like this weird, right. all these bonkers ways that scientists have decided to do things. And I think that... Right doesn't do us any favors. So I think what you're doing is really important. Thanks. Yeah, you know, I think there's kind of this um, maybe unwritten rule amongst a lot of like the scientific community that if you're um, talking in technical terms that you're smart, right? Mm. And that it's kind yep. of a shield from being able to actually converse with real people and, and bring people into the cause, right? We know right now that not enough people, especially in the US, are talking about the climate problem. And I think part of that is that we as scientists have, have really put up walls and kind of awarded, you know, special stars and badges for people who are allowed to talk about the climate problem when the reality is that we're all supposed to be thinking about it, right? It's going to affect, it's already affecting all of us. It's kind yeah. of like the defining issue, right? So um, yeah, I think more and more, I'm just trying to make the case that like, we can all see ourselves in this issue. And there are clear, like, kind of, villains to implicate it's like it's a really to me like fascinating um so you know, plastic struggle. straws are the villain <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah you know like it's just it's a really um it's a it's a fascinating story and it's one that we can all kind of engage in in our own way you know yeah i i have noticed that you're you're calling it the climate problem and we typically have been calling it the climate crisis, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if that is bad. If that is, if that is maybe encouraging some some doomers, or if if yeah, if you could speak to that. Yeah, you know, I think I, I kind of like bounce around with the language a little bit. Um, I do think 
that sometimes I get kind of like stuck on on the climate crisis um, framing. I actually think that's probably like the truest way to talk about it. I do think um, that maybe it's also there's a little bit of fatigue with like, you know, this this is like the defining crisis of many decades to come. And so, you know, that doesn't take away from the gravity of the problem, but we also um, have solutions to it. I think a, a crisis sometimes leaves people feeling mm. helpless. And right. so I, I try to just kind of mix it up too, honestly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's an emergency, frankly, when it comes to public health. Um, we right now are seeing tens of thousands of Americans sent to emergency rooms and hospitals each year due to health problems, you know, illnesses, injuries, even deaths caused by all these really scary threats. And so, you know, from a health perspective, it's certainly a crisis. Um, and it's, you know, not the only one out there, but it's one that's going to make a lot of our existing health challenges even harder to solve. Well, yeah, I've, I've like read climate change like a threat multiplier, right? So anything that you're having is so much yeah. worse. Is- the biggest, this is a real question I have that I don't know the answer to that I'm asking you, um, is the biggest <laughs> health problem related to climate change, is it heat related or um, is it, it, does it matter where you are? Like, obviously it's not going to be heat related if you're in Maine, but maybe it is because they don't have AC in rural populations actually. So is there like one big overarching one or is it a bunch of little ones? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. You know, kind of the the scary thing that I'll, I'll just tell you as a health researcher working on the issue is that we really don't know. You know, right now we have really it's such the scariest a poor, answer. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really you know to me astounding um, that a country as wealthy as ours is still relying. You know, our Centers for Disease Control during COVID has been relying on. I kid you not. Recordable CDs, which some of your listeners might not, might not even know what those are. Um, fax compact machines. disc that you would yeah, put in exactly. something called a Walkman. Exactly. <laughs> Walkman, fax yes. machine, you know, printouts. I, I, I don't remember the last time I saw a fax machine. It was probably at least a decade ago, if not more. Um, and, you know, emailed spreadsheets to figure out who's on these flights, you know, um, potentially carrying COVID around the world. Um, we really have a, a federal that, effort PJ. that is, yeah, we're relying <laughs> on, you know, 1980s technology to deal with a 2021 threat. And when we think about the climate problem, we're way behind where we need to be. There's, yeah. you know, more complicated technology in your phone than our, you know, premier public health agency is relying on to deal with the climate threat. So, we do. Um, we do talk a bit about this actually on a different episode. Oh, yeah. Um, not so much with with um, like current climate change, that kind of data tracking stuff, but mm-hmm. with like utilities, like with energy utilities and how old that technology is. And, and the, the more that we sort of make it all standardized and easier to use, the better. Yeah, totally. You know, we, we do know that right now, you know, extreme heat is extremely dangerous for people. It's kind of thought of as an inconvenience, like, oh, I need to turn on the AC or, oh, maybe I, you know, um, need to modify my day around a really hot, you know, um, temperature forecast. But the truth is that extreme heat can be deadly. All sorts of these problems can be deadly. You know, if you think about wildfire smoke in the American West, that's spreading pretty much across the country every summer, Um, you know, high precipitation events, flooding, um, all of these issues are implicated in like a long, long list of pretty grim health problems. We're talking about everything from, you know, preterm birth and pregnancy complications to all sorts of dangers to mental health. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I would say that we know that the, 
the climate crisis is going to make um, existing health disparities even wider. We know that you know communities of color, low-income communities, people who lack access to um, affordable health insurance are all being hit um, hard. And my research, you know, indicates that in terms of the kind of expense of those problems, like the medical bills for hospitalizations and ER visits, those are disproportionately kind of falling on Medicare and Medicaid patients, the people least able to pay. Um, so, that, like, you know, I'm sorry. Yeah. I was gonna say that doesn't surprise me in any way. Because, so rich, <laughs> I live in Richmond, Virginia. Mm-hmm. And because the urban heat island effect, uh, yeah. downtown Richmond, the poor neighborhoods, the black and brown neighborhoods are 16 degrees warmer than wow. the wow. more affluent neighborhoods. And it, you can trace it all back to like redlining practices, right? And Absolutely. like structural racism, which is insane and it's so i i remember a few years ago a senator was from arizona was like just get an ac i'm like what a privileged Mm -hmm. asshole actually right because like not everyone has an ac people have to walk to work there are cooling centers there aren't trees for shade where everybody lives and the same is true about people who have to leave for floods and people who have to work outside for wildfires are often migrant workers right right so like all of these things if you can um, even afford the ac right yeah yeah right exactly and ac costs so much money so you turn oh my gosh um yeah, we just have gone down a really dark. Huh. <laughs> okay, okay. Let's, let's but, switch it up. Let's switch it up. Yeah. Yeah, no, you know, so, I think, well, no, I, you I have go. to say you that, go. like, on that front, you know, um, like, kind of coming to grips with the scale of the of the problem, I think, is is crucial, um, just in terms of, like, waking our, our leaders up to the need for action, especially in adaptation. Now, you know, as much as the conversation really is crucial in terms of, like, you know, shifting us away from deadly fossil fuels. We also need a whole lot more investment and understanding of how to prepare communities for um, even worse harms in, in years to come. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it can be like kind of a grim thing to think about, but there's all sorts of ways that we could be improving population health right now by being smarter about, you know, how we how we design our cities, how we shape, you know, energy subsidies, um, how we direct federal aid. There's all sorts of work to do. We just need, you know, kind of a coordinated effort and people to wake up to the the scale of the issue in front of us. Well, Vijay, yeah, I think and it is. Oh, sorry, you go. Oh, I was going to say what. Jigs, <laughs> we are a professional podcast here. Uh, Rachel, you go. It is. No, 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 no. You go. Real quick, VJ. What, what I was going to say is what I think is so important about the work that you specifically do is you try and put dollar signs on all of these things because it seems like most politicians only right. work in dollar signs. So you're like, hey, right. listen, if we don't address this, it's Medicaid and Medicare. That's really expensive. Why don't we just solve climate change, right? And right. Then you have your, and then I won't complain about Joe Manchin in West Virginia and flooding and costs. So, Rachel, now your point. I was just, oh, I don't remember what I was going to say, but that's okay. So let's, okay, let's bring it back and talk a bit about what got you inspired and interested in working towards combating the climate problem in, like, in the first place. Yeah, um, I'd say kind of two different um, paths, like, led me here. First was just, like, um, traveling to India. My dad's from India. He came to the U.S. like 50 years ago to to, you know, um, go to graduate school. And so I hadn't gone to India until like I was in, uh, actually when I was an undergrad and that was like kind of the oh, first wow. time that I was exposed um, and kind of opened my, my eyes to huge disparities in pollution around the world. Like I just, you know, vividly remember being at the Taj Mahal and like be- barely being able to see yeah. see the thing, right? And like kind of choking on, on the air pollution, that, especially around this time of year, which is when we went, um, 
air pollution in that part of the country is typically pretty bad um, due to, you know, kind of crop burning that's happening and, um, you know, atmospheric kind of inversion layer that's trapping pollution. There's a whole lot of kind of science behind it. But to me, it was just like very kind of visceral to understand what people were breathing in day after right. day. Um, and so it was that kind of experience that got me kind of just interested in um, environment and health and those connections, but also frankly, just like a lot of trial and error. I knew that as a student, I was really interested in both um, science as well as language. Um, mm. I, I really loved studying foreign languages um, and I you know, was kind of interested in ways to merge those interests. I, I never did too well in like my kind of um, wonky science classes as an undergrad. <laughs> it just really felt like I didn't, you know, organic chemistry was Ugh. like... Um, oh you know, hell for me. And, and I wasn't great at physics, but I, I loved statistics. Um, and yeah. I, I really enjoyed biology and understanding like how human health works and how complicated yeah. it is. A good statistics class is like gold. Truly. I, mean, I had such a, I took such a good statistics class actually when I was a grad student and it was just taught in such a way that it made these things make sense with real world hmm. problems. In our graduate school program? Yeah, not in our department. Oh, okay. I was like, I don't remember what the who the professor was, but shout out to that guy. I mean, it was amazing. It was yeah. like he was putting on a performance. It was a, it was a teaching in teaching, a lesson in teaching. But it was also, I mean, it, it's really powerful. Well, BJ, yeah. can we step back even farther? Like in mm -hmm. high school, were you like a math and science kid? Did you have a first job? Were you like, I don't. And what was your first job? Did you have a uniform? Yeah, my first job was um, I was a grocery clerk. At, um, at which yeah, chain? Like, <laughs> actually, like a small little oh. um, mom and pop operation in, oh. in Madison, Wisconsin. Tree. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, it was it was cool because I, you know, like my friends would come in after school and we'd, <laughs> we'd hang out and I would, you know, learn. I was I, I realized later I was, you know, like charging, you know, gr most groceries aren't taxed, but I didn't realize that, you know, and so um, <laughs> I got like a, a good lesson in, you know, customer relations and like talking to, <laughs> talking to strangers and like doing some mental math and um, yeah. Yeah, communicating really, good, really exactly. early on. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and so that was kind of my first retail experience. That's awesome. Did you stay in retail or do, were you av are avidly like, once I get to college, I'm done with grocery store work? <laughs> I have so much respect for people in uh, those professions. Yes. Um, and, you know, just because of like, you know, these days, especially like just dealing with mm. um, the public is a huge challenge, oh. but also, you know, it's really, it's really physically strenuous work. Yeah. Um, You're on you your feet all like, day. Yeah. You mentioned like occupational health and climate. Yeah. Um, the heat problem is one that we're paying a lot of attention to these days because it's, you know, it's, it's definitely farm workers and others that have to work outside. But at these days, it's also, you know, people working in fulfillment warehouses, it's people in schools, you know, teachers needing to, um, you know, um, do their work in, in buildings that have not been, um, you upgraded. know, upgraded in, yeah. in so long, right? And in parts of the country that really haven't had to reckon with this type of, you know, these types of temperatures. Um, well, it's ever, really, right? when I was in, I used to live in New Hampshire and we didn't have air conditioning because for yeah. what, the two days a year? And in the three last years we lived there, it became, on. we bought two window units. It became... Yeah. And none of the older houses there are set up for that sort of it. None of the schools there are set up for that because you're not in school during the summer, right? But when all of a sudden September super hot, June super hot, it's it's unbearable. 
But then, were you uh, a math and science kid in high school, or like a math? I guess you weren't. You said you didn't like Orgo, which is fair because no one liked Orgo. <laughs> um, like, did you I go like into a- college thinking, "Oh, did you like Orgo?" Is that what you were about to say? I was about to say that I'm basically a professional organic geochemist. Oh wow. yeah, and I, I and I not. <laughs> I've never taken Orgo. Wait, wow. what? So yeah, <laughs> you have a PhD in this. I know. And they were just like, they were like, here you go, Rachel. No, I took organic geochemistry, but I've okay. never taken like orgo orgo. I feel like more fun. Orgo, orgo. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. I don't no. think I'd like it. <laughs> I I did always. Um, I always liked math, and I, I'm really grateful for like the the teachers that made learning math um, like less scary. I think um, you know just. And what I gathered, you know, there's a lot of kind of fear around um, math education mm-hmm. and there's kind of a, um, uh, you know, worry about like kind of taking risks. And I think a, a, we don't teach math in a way that's fun. We don't teach math in the way that we teach foreign language, even though it's basically a foreign language, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's a different way of kind of thinking about the world and connecting, um, um, you know, how we understand and like go through the world. Um, so I'm really grateful that I had teachers who like really encouraged me to, um, you know, like try things out and, and learn and fail and try again. And I feel like that really um, allowed me to push past, you know, some of the like kind of cultural things around math education, just in terms of like, you know, people who are good at math are nerds or people who are good at math can't do other things. Right. Um, love math. Yeah, it was like, a, I think that was something I always like kind of gravitated towards and that, but also just really like a love of reading, um, you know, reading, writing, like communicating. And I feel like I found the sweet spot where I can do both yeah. things. And like, you know, even just like you talked about like statistics class, being able to like explain what a statistic, you know, means or like contextualize it or unpack it, um, I think can be really useful. And so I, I actually do like quite a bit of that in terms of like talking to EPA about like where clean air standards should be set. It's all about like, okay, what did this epidemiology study say in like two sentences, right. you know? And so yeah. there's a lot of, um, a lot of need for that kind of synthesis and translation work. Oh, maybe you can explain to me what a man Kendall test is, BJ. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, never mind. So take it somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> we've brought you here today to yeah this is actually can us. you help me with my research <laughs> um bj when you went into college or after your grocery store job was that your job throughout high school or college yeah. and then yeah mm-hmm. and then when you went did to you college know, yeah sorry girl. yeah did you know what you were gonna major in in college um you know what i i didn't i think pretty early on i i realized that some of the like kind of traditional paths didn't like resonate with me. You know, I was looking at like we had a, I was at UC Berkeley. It was a, like a big chemistry program there, Huge like Nobel Prize program. winning yeah. chemistry people there. And like, you know, really impressive physics department. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I like science, but I kind of hate science too. You know, like um, the, the science that I saw happening. <laughs> um, and so I actually kind of stumbled upon environmental science, which is something that I didn't study really until then. I was always interested yeah. in kind of earth science and stuff, but never really thought of it as a career. And Did I you have it in high school at all? We had it, but um, I was on like whatever track that got me in like Out of chemistry. It. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it wasn't seen as yeah. like a. It the wasn't. Ba- Right. Yeah, it was like it the was, basic, not the yeah, upper level, which was I think like, that's how ours was, too. ours was too, yeah. which is crazy. It's really sad. I wish I yeah. had had the opportunity to explore it. I feel like I would be so much 
you know, enriched by that, like having started earlier. Um, Can I ask how you accidentally stumbled into environmental science? Did you like, were like, oh, that's a fun class or I don't know. Yeah, I was actually um, like trying, I was kind of, you know, uh, at that point we were all kind of looking at like, um, like a directory of what all the majors were, right? And you got to figure out what you're going to do. And I was trying to like, you know, cook up like my, my recipe for like four, four years or whatever. And I was looking at all the classes and I was like, Oh, this is cool. I can do like a little chemistry, um, yeah. a little statistics. Um, I can still fit in my foreign language study because I'm interested in doing international work someday. Um, and it just felt like enough of a mix to like yeah. keep me interested and, oh, so and, and a way to, you know, at that point I was starting to learn more about the climate problem. Um, Inconvenient Truth had just come out uh, and yeah. I was living in California and yep. just like understanding like natural, you know, hazards out there, earthquakes and fires and, and being, volcanoes, you know, the ocean. Yeah. All that. They got it um, all. And so it was really kind of like that um, opportunity to merge a bunch of my interests. Like I didn't really have to like pick, right. I, yeah. I could do, um, you know, work on a career and, and in a way that would like keep me interested. And I got exposed to all sorts of like, you know, um, natural science through the major and realized that actually I wanted to work on human problems. That's funny that you were like, he, I'm in this physical science <laughs> yeah. world. No, hard pass has it affect people. <laughs> yeah, there, I did a it, lot. Oh, was there an experience that you were like, or just like learning through these things? You're like, oh, this is cool. But what's more important is how this affects people. And you just found that through classes. Yeah, it was classes. It was actually a lot, like I, I did a lot of kind of like lab lab work and field work. And honestly, it all kind of sucked for me. Like I, <laughs> I was working on um, like awesome. a, a water quality monitoring project. I, I don't want to say it all sucked, right? You but can it, no, it's, it's like, like it, it can it's just suck. Funny. It it's funny a... because like we're, I mean, at least I am like around geologists all day. And it's yeah. like a group of people that had the exact opposite respond that's like why they went into that in the in the yeah first place but i'm on team vj here and we yeah no that's great to hear (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, i think you know just feeling like um it wasn't my jam like i didn't feel like i was satisfied being out with like a ph monitor i didn't feel um fulfilled looking at i was looking at that sounds that sounds like a sex yeah you know know, like um i was studying um greenhouse gas emissions from soils which is like really interesting and important actually but i was all alone like in a field in northern california all day you know it just felt really isolating and i didn't feel like um what i was doing really you know was was challenging me in the right way you know like it was technically challenging maybe but not like invigorating um and so I kind of just learned to trust my gut and keep trying out different things until I finally like stumbled upon what I'm doing now which I love and it's just like it's been a very kind of non-linear path for me but one that's um you know I feel like each experience I've gained something from even if it's been like not the greatest experience when I'm in it so in college you were like Definitely not chem, definitely not physics. Screw you, Nobel Prize winning department. Also, very stressful. I wouldn't want to be in that department. Too many type A's. Um, But you were like, environmental (laughs) science, let's do it. But through college, you were like, after all these experiences, you're like, I like the environmental science, but also I need to apply to people and like health. So after college, did you have a job where you were you in environmental science immediately or did you have a job where you were like, oh, I'm going to test out this like health environment or did you go straight? I don't think you went straight into your phd did you no No, i didn't yeah actually my my last (laughs) yeah i think that was it was a good decision and one that i i counsel people to make um it was my last (laughs) semester at berkeley that i i um 
was able to take an environmental health class. And that was really oh, the cool. first moment in class where I like was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to office hours. Like, I'm going to read all yes. the stuff. I love this. You know, and it was like, oh, shoot, I'm like about to graduate. And here yeah. I've like finally <laughs> yeah. figured out what I should have been doing for the last, you know, two or three or four mm-hmm. years or whatever. Right. Um, and that was also the time when we were all like going to career fairs and like feeling like, oh, like everyone's like, oh, what are you going to do? Pressure. You're like graduating. Right. All that pressure. Yeah. And um, I like frankly hated like career day and career fairs oh, and stuff all yeah. I did was see like a bunch of basic people in their suits like going to interviews and I was like that's not for me right and no, yeah. finally someone convinced me there was like a public service career fair towards the end this is like April right like a month before graduation and which is still um, okay everybody you oh worst. yeah I mean I I went like in in a t-shirt right I was like this is some <laughs> bullshit right yeah and it turned like, out that I'll there pick was... up a brochure exactly <laughs> like I'll go there might be pizza whatever um yeah. And there was was there pizza? There was no pizza, but there were people from EPA there, normal protection agency, and they um (laughs) they still have you know this recent grads program. They were looking for um students interested in water quality as it relates Hmm. to um to people in terms of tribal water quality. So working with tribal nations in the American West and trying to improve um, monitoring uh, of water quality on on reservations and um. You know, very quickly from like kind of handing my, I didn't even have a resume actually. I had to like go back and print it at the lab and you know <laughs> you run just it wrote back your to name the on person. a piece of paper. Exactly. <laughs> you to fax it to them. Exactly. I mean, I didn't even expect to like talk to anybody at this thing, and um, you Did know, you a few put on a interviews suit later. And- <laughs> you're like hang on hang on one second let me go put a tie yeah, yeah. thankfully they didn't, right they didn't judge me for my my casual attire but um <laughs> you know then a few interviews later i i had a job offer actually and it was like oh my god wow this is crazy you're like, just you know? like that yeah. and i kind of panicked because i was like oh you know i was at that point i was kind of thinking of like taking maybe a year off and looking into graduate school and, yeah yeah and, but i didn't really have a plan right it was like oh well i guess i should do this so then i ended up <laughs> um starting starting work like uh, a few months later at EPA in San Francisco um and I I worked for two years there got a lot of like fantastic experience with um understanding um tribal environmental policy which is fascinating um Mm -hmm. understanding how the Environmental Protection Agency works this is at like the last year of the Bush administration um interesting and yeah and then but you know that was really a great um experience for me you know just in terms of like absorbing all of that content and that new kind of like ways of thinking about what i've been learning about but also it made me realize like i missed school actually you know and that i i still had that like kind of fire in me to learn more about environment and health um and we you know i was learning about like water quality standards um and how they relate to health and how they're set and all that and i was really like um, I think my like aha moment where I was like, yeah, this is definitely what I want to be like become an expert in. And so I used that two year stint at EPA to like get that work experience, um, you know, get some great professional mentorship, talk yeah. to people who are further along in their career and like kind of plot my next plot my next steps. And did you say that that program is still in existence? Yeah. Um, awesome. Yep. EPA. Um, thankfully right now is like kind of staffing back up um and there's all sorts of like recent grad um opportunities awesome weird were they were they not four years ago or three years ago <laughs> <laughs> you know, i feel bad because i was one of the like you know 300 or whatever epa scientists later on after my phd i went back to eta and i was one of the ones that ah. um jumped ship during the trump years i mean 
Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, let's go <laughs> yeah sure. I mean, um, You're like not allowed to say climate. Did you sign yeah, an NDA? <laughs> I did not. Thankfully, yeah. I mean, um, so, you know, fast forward through my PhD and we're, we're back in um, now 2015. I went. But you knew back. like not academia, I guess, is sort of. Yeah, you know, I came to graduate school kind of suspicious of academia. Both my parents are academics, and I felt like I had this kind of, you know, I have a twin brother who's a professor, so he's going to hate me for saying this. Oh my God, you're the black Um, sheep of this family, BJ. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I've got the PhD, but I'm not on the tenure track, right? Um, Failure. Um, No, you know, I think I, as the more I got to learn about, like, environmental problems and the climate crisis in particular, I realized that there was, there's like a super deficit of technical expertise in shaping public policy Um, and that I love you know talking to people it was what I missed doing when I was doing a lot of field work as an undergraduate and so I kind of had this like feeling when I went back to get my PhD that I would ultimately not stay in academia I would you know um, be interested I'm still you know publishing in peer-reviewed journals but the difference now is that um, the that's not kind of the, where the story ends for my work. Yeah. A lot of it's about yeah. kind of, um, you know, literally like translating what I did for members of Congress, you know, or... Yeah. Um, I think you know, what you brief, do is so important. Lawmakers, I'm throw right? that out there. Yeah, make me cry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, yeah, you know, the, the my like pet peeve is the like peer-reviewed space in terms of like all this taxpayer-funded work that essentially sits mm. behind... Yep paywalls you know and so oh absolutely um, and it goes to like 10 other people that may read it (laughs) yeah like and and if you can access the pdf like good luck understanding it right you know so um i i really um i was kind of like thinking that you know as much as i would like get get the lay of the land and like learn how to be an expert in something that i would like transfer that um way of thinking to try to like directly apply it to to really like thorny policy problems that is what we should all be doing i'm just so sick of my projects once the paper's finally yeah, published like, yeah. it's like when God, i have to I like wanna... proofread and stuff i'm like yeah. god this is like torture yeah. yeah um but you know then it's out there but i think what you do is <laughs> so 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 important and like as someone who is in academia but always always dreaming of better days um like <laughs> i just think i look at what you do bj and i'm like that you're making a difference and, well, <laughs> and in you my are tiny and i think way. you do so important i don't know steph you're making no a this difference was not a thing to, to pity me this was not, <laughs> <laughs> tell, no this is like honestly i think i i tell think, me I'm i wish a more difference. people yeah. i wish i went into grad school knowing that with mentors that supported that yeah. as an That's outcome i guess is where i'm going with that versus mentors that were like what do you mean you're, you know what i mean that's, yeah, that's totally. where I'm going with that. Because I think it is so important, the work that you do. To, I think you're so right. The Half of the reason, 90% of the reason we're here is because politicians make decisions, right? And they don't understand anything technical. And then you have those idiots in Congress who are like, it's a snowball. Or like, <laughs> plants love CO2. Or whatever the hell they say that's dumb. Yeah. Yeah. And I think our, our like side, if science has a side, is like kind of self-censoring a lot in terms of like, you know, like the crazies are out there at the EPA meeting talking about how air pollution isn't dangerous. Right. And our side is like, oh, I don't know. Like, should I, if, should I comment? Like, that's kind of like, that's like a political act or whatever. And it's like, no, like legit, your science says that air pollution is killing people. You need to tell people that, you know, like that's not a controversial thing. Um, And there's been, I think, I think movement 
towards like more comfort um yeah you know in terms of like engagement with stuff just because we've seen like the crazy part of society like unafraid to to you know dismantle right. stuff and so we really need to like fight back frankly bj how far in did you make it in the trump years yeah <laughs> um so i lasted i guess uh january like a, almost a year like january to oh, december of the cool. first year um they thankfully yeah i you know it was it was a crazy time you know when uh, I remember election night. I was just like, I think he promised to like eliminate the EPA or something. Um, <laughs> I like, I, I guess I have tomorrow? a job tomorrow, but <laughs> we'll see. Um, and you know, th- there were just like little hints here and there that like, you know, what I wanted to be working on was not going to be welcome. Um, in terms of you know, using phrasing like environmental justice was very quickly discouraged. Um, you know, we could tell that. Um, a lot of the, you know, like judgment calls on air pollution, you know, determinations, like whether Milwaukee was clean or not, was going to be like a political decision rather than a scientific one, <laughs> yeah. um, you know. And Jeez. so I was kind of like had my eye on, on other opportunities and um, this fellowship at NRDC opened up um, and I, you know, applied and was fortunate to, to advance and was able to, to leave the agency. But I have a lot of respect for federal scientists. They're doing you know, incredible work under some really difficult circumstances. And um, a lot of it's kind of unsung, you know, um, yeah. effort. Um, yeah. It's it's amazing um, how, how well they perform under some really trying circumstances. So what did you do when you left? Um, yeah, so I... Did you write a letter you know... where you're like, peace out, Trump. <laughs> Bye, Pence. Yeah, at, the, at tip that your, point... Tip your it, desk over. It did seem, yeah, like, you know... Um, I did feel like I was kind of making a stand against like, you know, working for a psychopath. I was like, I can't do this. You know, like I I really care about the agency's mission. And at that point, we didn't really have the political appointees in place yet. But, you know, you could just tell. Well, it took forever to do that. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, they could barely get like the photo up in the in the year that I was there, um, you know, of the new new leader. So um, it just didn't bode well for institutional management for getting things done at all yeah <laughs> but you know within within weeks at nrdc it was you know um kind of on the other side of things in terms of needing to understand how to how to take what i've learned about air pollution science and translate right. it into kind of advocacy world that's awesome and you've been there since yeah um this week is four years there oh, congratulations thanks, thanks. <laughs> awesome so okay so if there are say we're no climate problem or climate crisis climate emergency climate emergency Mm -hmm. that's a good one climate we'll say that climate fiesta Ooh, no that's too fun (laughs) anyway sorry what was i asking um if if (laughs) if there were no climate crisis what do you think you would be doing oh um you know actually i really I really love teaching, um, and I really love foreign language. So I, yeah. I think I might teach teach Hindi or teach Spanish. Um, oh, I awesome. really love the process for me of like learning a foreign language. I feel like I just kind of like activate a part of my brain that has been dormant. Um, yeah. and yeah. I feel like it also just kind of allows me, you know, allows me to connect with my heritage, and I feel like I'm kind of sharing something with people when I can. Um, you know, explain like my name is is Hindi. It means victory in Hindi, and you know, like Ooh. just even knowing learning That's how to awesome. like spell my yeah. name in another language, you know, in its like native form, was really kind of poignant for me. And so yeah. I think I'd 
um, I really love to, to teach foreign language. I feel like it's a skill that's become um, kind of sidelined and undervalued in the U.S. and kind of seen as like, oh, you're weird. Like you speak what? French or yeah. whatever, you know, and it's just not it's not part of our core kind of training as much. Whereas as I, I everywhere it else in the world, it's like everyone speaks five languages. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Vijay, could you tell us how to say climate change or climate in Hindi and Spanish? Oh, um, yeah. So like the... The way uh, we talk about it is like, it's funny, like the, the word for pollution is like production in Hindi. Okay. Um, so it's like kind of a cognate. And then um, uh, I talk about like the environment, was, which is watavaran. Um, Wait, say so, it again. Watavaran. Watavaran? Yeah. So awesome. environment and pollution. You know, I, haven't, I haven't used Thank climate you. change in Hindi much lately. You stumped me, I think, on that. But I'm sorry. That was not a planned question. <laughs> that's okay. Um, yeah, but, you know, actually, um, I do a lot of work in, in India these days, and I've found that, you know, um, even, you know, when, when I go over there and I'm, I'm talking to people and I, like, respond to them in their native tongue, it's just kind of like, um, it's a real kind of way to connect. And yeah. I think it's kind of surprising that, um, you know, for, for a bunch of people that I work with that like I took some time in graduate school actually I had like a long oh, leash awesome. from my advisor I spent a whole summer just studying Hindi That's <laughs> awesome, though. Wow. yeah and it's really like you know shaped um totally like how I think about you know um addressing the problem over there and just being on a global kind of, like, scale too yeah. yeah well yeah. I think there's a bit also just been this interesting through line VJ what I'm picking up is like you love I mean even from your work as a grocery store clerk right like you love talking to people and you love yeah. doing that sort of outreach part and I think the Hindi I mean you have this connection to it personally right but it allows right. you to create a form of much deeper connection with people and that when you build trust that's how you mm. convince people of stuff right so I think that's really powerful yeah well, totally we can wrap up by asking what we always ask. Do you have a pet? And do they have a social media presence if you do? Oh, I don't have a pet, sadly. Yeah. Do you but... have a social media presence? We know the answer to this. I do. I do. I'm a, I'm a pretty active um, troll on Twitter, especially. Ooh. We will, yeah. will you say what your Twitter handle is and then we'll also link to it? Yeah. It's just, um, it's my boring um, first initial last name, Vilamai. Okay. We got can do it. that. We can do that. We're going to follow. We're going to retweet. We're think... going to tag. Awesome. <laughs> what are the other verbs? I don't know. Hashtag. We yeah. have a hashtag. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think just on like the, that just makes me think of like, you know, how we use social media on this problem. I, I do think that, you know, we need to like not take ourselves so seriously. Like I'm out there all the time, like, you know, um, trolling Exxon with like funny gifts and, you know, just like <laughs> yes. trying to, trying to like summarize a research study in like one emoji or whatever, you know, we, we need to like kind of, um, I think not take ourselves so seriously as scientists I love and, that. And, and like invite people in the conversation. BJ, I hope there's someone on Exxon's like social media media team god damn it vj again vj again this guy exactly well vj it has been such a pleasure to talk to you and hear about your very important work yeah thank you so much for being with us tonight thank you both